Hello, I am John McAleer, and I'd like to welcome you to episode number 17 of the podcast. For those of you who are new to the podcast, it is mainly for and about folks like me who have had their lives affected by a spinal cord injury, but is really for anyone who just wants to be inspired. Think of the podcast as your 30 to 45 minute session of OT and PT for the soul. Let me start off by thanking Ali Stroker for joining me on our last edition. If you did not have the opportunity to listen to our conversation, I urge you to do so. I think it was my best show to date. And where can you find it? Well, I'm glad you asked. You will see it along with my other 16 completed podcasts by logging on to my website, which is www.quadcast.org. And be sure to check your local listings this holiday season for Ali's appearance in Christmas Ever After, airing on Lifetime. Now, as I have chronicled here ad nauseum, following my fall down the basement steps, I spent the better part of the next six and a half months in an acute care hospital and a rehabilitation center. That, my friends, is a long time to be away from home. And while I was coming to grips with learning how to live a completely new life and knowing that where I was was paramount to make this transition easier and better and more tolerable, deep down when my long, arduous days of therapy were finished, a big part of me just wanted to go home. Towards the end of my stay at Kessler, however, I was allowed to take some day trips home, and while they were a tease of sorts, it was nice and refreshing to be back. I was still in a wheelchair part of that time back then, and so getting into the house was a little different. Luckily for me, my legs were stronger, and with either a friend or family member on either side of me, I could manage the two steps into the house. So a ramp was not needed, and that was huge. As my legs continued to regain strength, I was completely out of a wheelchair by that point, and the thought of or need for adapting my house with ramps upon arrival was scratched. But for a lot of my friends at the time, that was not the case. For them to return home safely and to be able to live there functionally, adaptations would have to be done. This is the case for not just spinal cord injury survivors, but many people, young and old, who for one reason or another simply cannot navigate their home environment like they once did. And this was the case for my guest this week. Megan Blau, owner and lead designer of Blue Copper Design's interior design career, started with her personal journey to renovate and adapt her first home. In 2009, she incurred a spinal cord injury and has since been a wheelchair user. Being a quadriplegic comes with challenges, but her physical state has hardly held her back. This experience has inspired her to bring her unique perspective into the world of design. In 2018, she started Blue Copper Design to share that perspective and elevate the world of adaptive design. Megan Blau, you see, is not only the owner, she is also a client. She saw a need and sought to fill the void. Following this short time out, we will hear all about her journey, and that, my friends, is next. Hi, everyone. I'm Matt Laughlin, the radio play-by-play announcer for the New Jersey Devils. If you like what you're hearing from John McAlevey on today's show, then you'll want to check out more Sports Now's podcast. You know, John's a huge sports fan, and each week he joins me and Steve Titchener for a spirited roundtable discussion on what's going on in sports on both sides of the Hudson. Our podcast can be heard at moresportsnow.com, but also on iTunes, Spotify, and iHeart. I hope you'll check us out.
and welcome back to the show. Blue Copper Design is a full-service interior design firm specializing in adaptive design, ADA design, accessible design, and universal design. They combine accessibility and beautifully designed interiors to elevate and empower their clients' lives. As Arizona natives, they pull their inspiration from the desert and keep their design philosophy simple, natural, and intuitive. They offer full-service and virtual design services to homeowners, as well as accessibility consulting that is available to homeowners, contractors, and fellow designers. It is their belief that great design can change the world, and they are out to do just that. Owner and lead designer of the company, Megan Blau, joins me now. Megan, thank you, and welcome to my Be It Ever So Humble, There's No Place Like Home episode of the Quadcast. Thanks, Don. Thank you for having me. Good grief. How corny was that, by the way? <laughs> Not super corny. It's uh, fine. <laughs> well, my friends would have would beg to differ. They would tell you that I'm a, I'm a corny guy. But uh, welcome again to the show. And I guess, why don't we start from the top? What I usually like to do is, you know, when I have guests on, I know that the, the spinal cord injuries that we have suffered are not and do not define who we were and who we are. So why don't you tell myself and my listeners where you grew up and what were some things you did in your youth? Yeah, sure. Um, so I grew up in Arizona in the Phoenix area. Um, I basically have lived here my whole life. And um, yeah, I mean, pretty typical childhood. I lived with my parents. I have a younger sister and um, I... I guess some things I was involved in when I was younger is I've always been a really avid swimmer. Um, I was on the swim team, like on the rec team. And then when I started high school, I was on my school team. Um, So that's always been a really, really big part of my life. And no better place (laughs) to be an avid swimmer than Arizona because it's hotter than heck out here. So (laughs) yeah, so that's pretty much the only like outdoor activity you can do. Um, for most of the year. So that's pretty much um, like the biggest sport I was involved in um, through when I was growing up. I did the band for a little bit, hated it. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, my mom always wanted me to do it longer. And I was like, no. Get me out. Hate that. So yeah, so pretty much, um, I mean, swimming was such a big part of my life. I had a few friends, things like that. So, and, and my accident actually happened in a swimming pool and I, still swim to this day. So another thing about how it doesn't define you, doesn't stop you. Um, swimming is still a big part of my life. That's great. You know, of all the guests that I have on sports really played a a big role in all of their lives. You know, as a, as a kid growing up, being on a team, um, taught you lessons like winning and losing and sportsmanship and, and all of that stuff. So that's cool. And yeah, I guess growing up where it's hotter than Hades, everyone in the pool is probably something that's common, right? Yeah. Yeah. If you're, if you're not swimming, you're not, you're not doing anything. So Uh, very true. And, and truth be told, you were in the band. I was in the chorus in high school and it was not my favorite thing. I kind of wanted to blend into the background, but, um, when no one was looking, I would belt out a tune there. I I don't know how good it was, but it was something that I enjoyed doing, but, uh, things we do (laughs) in our youth, right? Yeah, it's always a lesson. Absolutely. So how about was was interior design something that you were interested in school? Was that something as a young person piqued your interest? You know, um, looking back from like, you know, a 2020 perspective, 
not the year, the vision. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but looking back on my life, it was. But in the time, I really didn't recognize it. Um, so my grandpa actually moved from South Dakota, moved here to Arizona, opened up about five furniture stores here in the Phoenix area. And um, my parents managed one of them. So growing up, I was always at their store, like always around furniture. Um, And then my whole family basically worked in the furniture industry in some way or the other. So I was kind of brought up, you know, around furniture, not so much interior design, but just furniture in general. Um, My aunt has always wanted to be an interior designer and never never made that career move in her life. Mm-hmm. Um, my grandma was always obsessed with home design. So, you know, I grew up around interior design a lot. And um, when I was in high school, actually, I did take an interior design class, like as an elective, my, my uh, school offered that. So I took advantage of that, but never once did I ever think of it as a career. Um, I just, I don't know. I never, <laughs> I never thought of it as, as being something as a career. So, um, I went to ASU for environmental science. So I didn't get a bachelor's degree or anything in interior design. Yeah. Thought I was going to, you know, get into the sustainability route. Um, mm-hmm. and it wasn't until, you know, later when I was an adult and kind of going through my own journey with interior design and construction, right. uh, I realized yeah, I realized that, you know, this could be a career. So but all it was along, kind of a part of my life, but yeah. not so, all, yeah. All along, it so was obvious. in the blood, right? You, and now that you look back yeah, on it. Yeah, it was in the blood. <laughs> sure. Yeah, exactly. You were involved and in all around it. And so um, down the road, who knew it was going to come calling again? But how about now, tell us about the day that changed your life. How and what happened to you with your spinal cord injury? Yeah. Um, so as I mentioned before, I was an avid swimmer. So swam all the time. Um, my accident happened when I was 17 and I was swimming with some friends and dove into a pool and hit the bottom. So I was racing my friend who was also a swimmer. She Mm. decided to hop in feet first. I went in head first and that's pretty much it. Um, I got asked all the time, like, isn't it shallow? Like, wasn't there a no diving sign? And like, yes to all those questions. Um, but it was a really common thing for me to dive in like a four or five foot pool, um, just do like a shallow dive from a starting block or something. So, so it wasn't, um, something I've never done. It just was, you know, wrong angle, wrong day, the whole night. So, um, yeah, I mean, everyone who has a spinal cord injury, I'm sure either remembers vividly or doesn't remember at all that day. Um, I remember it pretty vividly. Um, I stayed conscious, pretty much the whole time until the whole ambulance ride until I, you know, got into the hospital. Mm-hmm. So, um, thankfully I, I was a lifeguard as well. And that was like my high school summer job. And the friend I was with, she was also a lifeguard. So she kind of knew what to do, um, help hold my head until I could get out of the pool safely and called the ambulance and everything like that. Thank so goodness. right? I, yeah. Yeah. I was with great company. Um, so that, yeah, that was good. Yeah, thank um, but had, yeah, so I broke my C6. Um, so I am a quadriplegic. Um, I had the spinal fusion and everything. And, uh, now I'm classified as a C8. I don't know how that happened. I don't <laughs> know anything about it. I just have a, 
a little bit better hands and arm function than a, what a C6 fit should be. Yep. So they put me in the C8 category. Wow. Now, I I knew nothing really about spinal cord injuries before I injured mine. And um, for reference, I had to fall down a flight of steps at my home uh, and I wake up at the bottom. I don't remember walking up the stairs. I don't remember falling down. The doctors think it may have been an acute case of vertigo, but I wake up at the bottom and I'm completely paralyzed from head to toe. And all my initial reaction, my initial remembrance, and I don't know if this is sort of the same for you, is just complete numbness. I just felt nothing. I, I could feel my head and my face, but I just felt nothing. And it was just so eerie. I could even throw up thinking about it now. Did you sort of feel um, something like that? Yeah. um, I vividly remember like the feeling leaving my body. So like from my injury level down, it was like, um, it's always so hard to explain, but it was like electricity that just like left and it never came back up. So it was like a xylophone basically, (laughs) like from my chest all the way down. So, and then, yeah, it was complete numbness from there. And, and, you know, the beginning years, especially the very, very beginning was really rough with I had a lot of like phantom pains. I had a lot of like tingling. Um, I remember always feeling like an elephant was sitting on me. So a lot of adjustments there. Um, so that was numb, but then I had a lot of other just like weird pains that have since subsided that that first year was, was pretty weird yeah. feeling wise. A lot of neurogenic pain, right? I think that's how they explained it to me also in the beginning is, you know, it could be something that you're feeling in your foot, but you feel it up by your face or something like that. It's just, yes. yeah, with all the signals crossed up since you're, you bang your cord, it's like, oh my gosh, nothing, none of the signals know where to go anymore. So they're, they're all trying to figure out where, where the synapses are all uh, working again. So tell us, where did you have um, your therapy or where did you go for uh, your acute care hospital and then where did you rehab? Yeah, so um, I went to, for my surgery, I initially went to Scottsdale Osborne, which is a pretty well-known trauma hospital here in the Phoenix area. Um, so after, that's where I spent my time in ICU surgery, that, that whole portion of it, and then um, transferred to Barrows, uh, at St. Joseph's here in Phoenix too, which mm-hmm. from what I've been told has been, was a really good uh, neurogenic rehabilitation center, like one of the best in the country. So I was pretty lucky with that. Um, and I stayed there for mm, six weeks or so. I think my whole total time in the hospital was about two months. Yeah. Um, and then after that did outpatient through um, St. Joe's again, through their Barrow outpatient center. And then I also, in the beginning, did um, Rehab Without Walls, which is a company here in Arizona that did in-home healthcare, um, like in-home therapy for physical therapy and occupational therapy. And I felt like that was really um, beneficial to me in my recovery is really learning how to adapt and learn how to live in my environment. Yeah, that's very cool. Uh, Megan, how about how important was the fact that you were an athlete for all those years growing up? How important was that to your recovery and your attacking rehab? And then also how um, supportive were your family and friends to your recovery as well? Yeah, um, being an athlete, I think you have there's like a part in your brain that you can go to that's like whether it's competitive or, you know, you go there when you need to push yourself or like endure more pain than normal. Um, whatever. I think it's different for everyone, but, um, 
it definitely helped me being able to switch that on um, and, and get through the process of, of recovery. Like I remember just thinking of daily tasks as like training sessions or, you know, goals throughout the day and like having to hit these benchmarks and achieve something by the end of the day, whether it was like putting your pants on by yourself or making food or something like that. So, um, that definitely helps me. And as far as my friends and family, you know, that's always a great question. Um, I had great friends during my recovery that, you know, I was still, I was 17 at the time. So I think I just turned 18 shortly after my injury. Mm -hmm. So still pretty young. I mean, I still am pretty young and, um, you know, my friends kind of kept reminding me that like, I am an 18 year old girl too. So (laughs) we would go out and get into like some hood rat stuff and (laughs) (laughs) cause trouble and, you know, act like a teenager. Yeah. Which was extremely important for me. Um, as far as my family, I had some family members that were awesome, but like my close family, like my parents and stuff, um, it was rough. It was rough dealing with their yeah. grieving process and their emotions through the whole situation. Um, I did live with them after my injury, but to be honest, they weren't the best support system. So I had to seek out that support through friends, um, extended family, like my aunt and uncle and my mm-hmm. cousin were really supportive. Um, and then also like my therapist has, are, I'm still really close to. Well, that's great. You know, you find you find, you know, safer harbors, you find more positive energy. And if that was good for you, then, uh, that was what you needed. That's good to hear that that was, uh, uh, the direction that you went in. Now tell us, Megan, blue copper design, when and mm-hmm. how did your business come to life? Because this is amazing. Oh, well, thank you. That's so kind. Thank you. Um, so Many years, I guess, after my injury, I was in my last year of college. Um, I was, I met a guy. He was my boyfriend and he's now my husband. So Terrific. we were dating. Yeah, we were dating. And at the time, um, I was also working for a retail store. Um, I was working for Lululemon. They do like athletic clothing and stuff. Oh, believe so, me, I have to buy that all for my niece. She wants that all for <laughs> birthdays and Christmas. And it's not cheap. I'll tell you that. No, it's not. It's not. And it's definitely super popular right now. No doubt. um, But yeah, it's an awesome company. So I was doing all those things. And um, in the midst of all that, you know, I was about to graduate, was going to move out of the dorm. And I was like, you know what, I, I would like to just purchase a home and start, you know, start that part of my life. So uh, my husband and I, my boyfriend at the time, but my husband now, we went on a home search. We picked a home and um, I knew like most people, I'm sure with spinal cord injuries or any kind of disability, um, know that like some kind of renovation is going to be involved in making a home work for you. So um, I knew that going into the home search and the second that our house closed, we started tearing things apart and kind of creating a design plan. So this was probably mm, five or six years ago now at this point. Okay. Um, so went through a whole design plan. I worked with a friend who was a contractor and redid um, our first home. So redid the bathroom and the kitchen were the main areas to make it work for me and my chair. Um, and as I was doing that design process, I really started thinking about, how, well, first of all, I loved it. I loved every second of it. You 
even the disaster parts of, <laughs> of the renovation process. Sure. I, you know, I just was like, it wasn't, it wasn't scary to me. Um, and then, uh, when it was all done, I was like, you know, I think that I could really have something here with an interior design business or a contracting business or something. I'm like, because I kept thinking like, if that was available to me at the time, like I would have probably hired someone to help me with that house in a heartbeat, just to have an expert with accessibility, but then also keeping like your personal style intact and not, um, not having your home look like a hospital or, right. you know, so medical, overly medical. Absolutely. You know, I, I think of the the term necessity is the mother of all invention. And uh, I interviewed a gentleman a couple weeks back who is himself a quad and he needed home health aids. And all of the ones that he had were either insufficient or they, they weren't on time and it just wasn't working out. So he and his wife started a home health aid business. It's called Lean on We. It's here in New Jersey. And I just thought, here was a guy that saw a need and filled the void. And you just reminded me so much of him that there was a need out there and you are filling that. And I think it's just really terrific. Oh, well, thank you. I, I, I agree with you. It's all businesses, um, I think that it does fill a void in some way. Um, and you know, I, I knew I wasn't alone when I was going through this process. Like I, I already knew that I wasn't the only person with even a spinal cord injury, um, that needs their home renovated. But beyond that, I mean, everyone I'm sure has an experience or a story about renovating their homes when they first get injured. Like I know my parents even, um, it's a one, you know, most homes here in Arizona are one story, pretty new, like nothing like they are back east. And even with our track home system, like things still had to be modified in order for me to be able to live. So um, it's just not also, it's such a difficult thing to undertake. And then also in the situation of dealing with a new injury, right. it's, it's overwhelming. It sure <laughs> it's is. overwhelming. You have to do things to your house that not only like you don't really know what you're doing, but then you're concerned with resale value, aesthetic. And I think a lot of people just panic and get things done and then they never get addressed later, you know, and right. they just kind of make it work. But sure. it might not be the best setup for them. So, you know, you know so that's Megan, kind of where my spark came from. Yeah. And it's it's interesting. Most people, you know, when they hear that someone's had a spinal cord injury, even the family members, you know, the first thing that anybody wants to know is, is so-and-so going to walk? Are they going to walk? They ask the doctors mm-hmm. and the therapists, are they going to walk? Are they going to, they don't, you know, necessarily want to know if they're going to be able to feed themselves and put, the sh- put their shirt on and get their clothes on. But then even further down the list, as you mentioned, and it's something you don't even think about when you're getting ready for discharges, how are we going to get, you know, so-and-so? so into the house and how are they going to get into the mm-hmm. shower and use the bathroom? And so this is sort of where you come in besides ramps. What are the most common adaptations that you make on homes for disabled folks? Yeah. So my most common um, adaptation for anybody, cause I do also work with able-bodied people. If you know, I do cater to everyone right now. They don't now. need our help. Um, <laughs> no, <laughs> they do. They do though. Um, the most common suggestion and thing I will push for is a roll in shower, at least one in the house that is on the main level if possible. Mm-hmm. Um, in my project so far that those have mostly been possible. So if we're doing a bathroom renovation, even if we're not doing a bathroom renovation, I just think it is the most, um, 
it is the most useful accessible feature in a home mm-hmm. that increases resale value for anybody, um, is a luxury for anybody. It's not anything that is just for disabled people. Um, it, it, it's a universal design feature. So that is the, the thing that I, um, that I push for the most. Mm-hmm. You know, it's funny you're saying that. Uh, myself here at my house, I live with my mom, and we are in the process of um, having folks come in and take a look at my shower because um, I can walk, Megan, but it, it's not the prettiest thing in the world. And as as I've gotten older, it's gotten harder for me to. Um, and a house that we moved into three years ago to get into my shower, there's a pretty high step. Um, it's, Mm -hmm. it's higher than what is supposedly done. They all come in with their tape measures and say, this is too high. So I know that whoever the people that lived here before us, you know, the, the homeowner, he put it in himself. And so it wasn't up to build their grade, but so we've had some folks in here the last couple of days and we're showing them what, uh, what we would like to do. And so, um, I think we're going to blow out my shower and make it nice and big and make it exactly the way you were talking. But, uh, yeah, I could see how bathrooms would be, uh, would be your number one item for folks. Yeah. Yeah. I think bathrooms are, in my opinion, a little bit more important than kitchens if we had to put a priority list on it. Mm -hmm. Um, so making sure, you know, a bathroom is set up safely. So whether the person needs to use it independently, they can do all their transfers, without risk of falling, um, or if they need an attendant, you know, making sure everyone has enough room to move around in there. So, um, actually one of my most recent projects that I'm working on right now is a able-bodied couple, a family, and they're hiring me because their parents, when they come into town, they have some mobility issues and they wanted, um, to make sure that their bathroom is accessible for their parents. That's terrific. Yeah, and I'm I'm finding that a lot, which is which is awesome. That people who, you know, maybe don't have family members with disabilities, or they have extended family members or friends, or they don't um, even at all, like don't even have anyone in their immediate circle. Um, they just see my life, I guess, through they see some parts of my life <laughs> through my perspective, uh, mm-hmm. and they're like, you know what, that's actually um, something that while we're doing a renovation right now, like it wouldn't be that bad to prepare for either us um, or a family member incurring a disability or just aging. I mean, there's so many things. It doesn't have to be a tragic accident that can really hinder your body. Um, So I always push for, you know, if you're doing the renovation, if you're doing the work now, add in those features because you will be glad that you did. Um, And then the other part is, people get concerned with resale value, but I'm like, you're not the only person who's going to be getting old and you're not the only person who's also going to know someone who uses an assistive device. So um, I I don't think it's a ding on resale value or anything like that at all. Sure. How much would you say percentage wise, how many uh, folks do you work for that are able-bodied as opposed to disabled folks? Um, so I'm in my second year of business now. My first year, it was probably 80% able-bodied, 20% disabled. And then this year, it is flip-flopped, which is awesome. Wow. So 80% disabled, yeah, disabled projects or some kind of modification. Mm-hmm. And then 20% of um, able-bodied. So I'm trying to make that switch more, you know, really get into this niche and 
Um, one day I hope to be 98% <laughs> of working with my disabled community. That would be awesome. And now how do you get word out to, to folks? Um, the, how do they find out about you that, you know, you're, you're not only the owner, but you're also a client, you know, type of a thing. <laughs> yeah, I am. <laughs> I'm my first client and probably my worst client because <laughs> I'm never satisfied. Sure. Um, but, um, I would say Instagram is a really good tool because, I mean, it's a photo diary basically every single day of the portfolio and with a little caption. So Instagram has been a great place um, for me. Um, also, I think just my website in general, like when people are searching for adaptive design, I think I come up for some people. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that's been good. And then now that I've had a little bit of establishment, um, I am getting some word of mouth. So I feel like it's probably evenly split between, between those three ways of getting clients. Super. How about COVID-19? This pandemic is, has really locked everybody down and everybody up. Um, how has it affected not only your life, but your business? Yeah. So, so fun. Right. <laughs> um, Stuck. <laughs> so, um, yeah, in the beginning, in the spring, when everything was first happening and first shutting down, um, my business kind of went quiet. I didn't get a lot of inquiries. I was finishing up a project and uh, I basically took two weeks off. So I um, just kind of needed time to process it, like I'm sure everyone else did. And then after about two weeks or so, I started making a game plan, working on the behind the scenes stuff of what it takes to run a business, you know, like your accounting and bookkeeping and marketing and getting all those documents ready. So I was like, you know what? If Plus, with the unknown of what we thought it was going to be in the spring, um, I really was trying to prepare myself that, like, if I didn't have one client for the rest of the year, like, how, you know, how would that look and would I be able to do that? And so um, I would say there was, you know, the very, that was what the beginning of COVID was looking like for me. Um, Then after things weren't so bleak, I guess, there was glimmer of hope. Sure. Um, I started realizing, I was like, you know what? We are all stuck in our house and I'm sure because I'm doing it, I'm sure other people are nitpicking their homes or finally have a minute to just breathe and be like, you know what? We never finished that project or like we did really want to renovate or, you know, maybe we should buy that new sofa or something. So, um, I have always offered virtual design services, but since COVID happened, I have kind of rebranded, remarketed, and lowered the price on those. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is a room by room service and started marketing that. So, because, you know, also the financial situation of what has happened with COVID is all over the place with people. And I just was like, I want to still be a resource for the community. I want to help those who do want to take on a little project to keep their minds occupied. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want to keep designing. So, so I, that's all the reasons why, you know, I lowered my virtual design price. And that actually has been a really big part of my business this year. Like, like I said, I've always had virtual design. Um, it wasn't a big commodity for me last year. Like I, I probably only had one or two clients and I think I've had seven um, this year alone or between COVID and now of virtual design. So so that has kept my business afloat. It's kept me designing. It's kept people, you know, 
making their spaces better. So that's been a win-win all yeah. around. Look, for further adaptations, right? You had to adapt uh, and, and to survive. I can't tell you how many... Um, you know, you see the stories on TV of all these businesses that have had to shutter up and they've, they've gone out of business because they have no clients and they have no wherewithal. They can't make any money. They can't pay their bills. I'm so glad to hear that you've been able to uh, sort of rebrand yourself a little bit. And then that will help you out that hopefully when this disaster is behind us and not, we're not wearing these masks on our face anymore, that you'll be back to, uh, to where you were before all of this hit, right? That's the goal. Yeah, I mean, I my I still experienced a big grow year um, this year. So the virtual design kind of held me over through the summer, and then later in the summer, I did get people start reaching out to me for those full service projects. Um, so I have two really really big projects going on right now, as well as you know wrapping up the ones that I've had before. So so this year still has been has been a great year for me business wise. Um, I did want to grow into the point to be able to take on an employee. That was my goal at the beginning of the year. And that's been pushed off another year, which is totally fine. Right. Um, and I think being, I actually think being so small, being a one woman show has allowed me to ride this storm. Um, I think if I had, you know, overgrown too soon or had other people to be responsible for, um, I would have been, you know, I would have been panicking a lot more, but when it's just you, you can kind of hunker down, take a lot of losses and adjust accordingly and just, you know, survive (laughs) until, until this is over. So, um, yeah, I mean, my, my goals might be pushed back a few months, but it's, uh, I'm, you know, it's been a good year actually for me business wise. Are there any new inventions or products that are out on the market, like, I don't know, like faucets or toilets or Alexa or whatever that that would be beneficial to our community or maybe some things that you see on the horizon? Um, yeah, I think that, you know, the touchless options can be really beneficial for some people. Um, faucets and even, yeah, I think it's just mostly faucets, even if we did like soap dispensers, things like that. So if anybody has any limited uh, like hand or arm function, that could be, that's always a really good um, product to introduce to people. Um, for toilet situations, I I think the days are going to be huge, especially with our toilet paper shortage that we all went through. <laughs> I have um, one. Yeah, it, they're great. The best. Um, it's definitely on my list after you know after the toilet paper shortage but then i was like you know what this would actually be really beneficial for a lot of different reasons for Mm -hmm. disability purposes um so i think that will probably see a huge surge if there's the bidets might even be sold out who knows yes (laughs) um and then yeah i mean you're kind of right on like i one of the easiest um accessibility features that i can't stress enough is using some kind of smart home feature, whether that's through the Amazon Alexa, your Google Home, whatever it is, whatever you choose, there's like endless possibilities to set your home up um, where you just use your voice to activate things or even your app if your voice isn't that good that day. So you can turn your lights off, you can do your laundry, you can start your Roomba, like anything. Um, I, I always suggest that. So that's my my number one tip for people. I have to definitely look into that more because 
I have really limited use of my arms, hands, and fingers. My injury was a uh, came along with it central cord syndrome, which I again I knew nothing about. But that's uh, I severely bruised the central portion of my cord, which really uh, controls your fine motor, your arms, hands, and fingers. So I like to tell mm-hmm. people, Megan, that I can get up and walk wherever I want to. I just can't do anything when I get there because uh, <laughs> because I have such limited use. But I definitely have to look into. Uh, to um, the Google Home or the Alexa, that type of thing. I think it would just make make my life a little bit easier and not have to ask somebody to, to do all these things for me. And, you know, along those lines, I know that if you do, that they can turn the channels on your television set, right? They can turn your TV on and mm-hmm. TV off. And, and speaking of which, uh, I'm always been really like a really a big sports guy watching on television. But if there's nothing sports related on, I'll be a big HGTV guy or a Food Network guy. And I've watched uh, the Home and Garden Network ad nauseum with my mom night in and night out. And I've been hard pressed to find an episode of any of their shows that feature disabled people or renovating homes for disabled people. First of all, do you watch the network? Have you seen anything like that? And when can we expect to see your show on the Home and Garden Network? (laughs) Oh my goodness. That's so flattering. Um, So yes, when I was not doing interior design as my full-time career, I was an HGTV binger. If I'm with you, I would just have it on all day. Um, honestly, in the past year or so, I haven't watched it. I think that I need to have my off time think about other things. Um, so it's on like every so often now, but I am obsessed with design shows and you're right. Um, there isn't a huge representation of the disabled community on HGTV per se. Um, I will say I have seen like sporadic episodes here and there on that network and I can't even name them for you but yeah. I've seen one or two um where they do handle um you know some adaptations in their design plan which is awesome mm-hmm. um if you have Netflix I will say that one of the episodes I think it was um the season maybe season 2 of the Queer Eye show okay um they do a they one of their clients he does have a spinal cord injury and he's in a chair and they they kind of do like a whole um life makeover but one of those uh facets is with his home so that was really cool to see and they did you know a pretty nice um adaptive design plan for for that gentleman so that's been cool um but yes i actually i've been approached a few times for doing some kind of show whether it's on hgtv or netflix or even um the magnolia network um which is chip and joanna Gaines' new channel i'm not sure if it's out yet but, awesome um, should be coming soon yeah so um nothing in the works right now i've been told i needed a little bit more experience that was last year so mm-hmm. i i do it's you know that opportunity comes my way i'm definitely going to take it because i think that showing um the disabled community on a big home design network would be really beneficial to um to adaptive design in general i mean that is our business goal is to when we're done we have elevated the world of adaptive design and um you know, part of that is getting the word out. So I don't see any better way than than competing with all the other design shows. So. It's time, Megan. It really is time. As I said, <laughs> I watch 
hours and hours and hours of the of the network, and I've seen maybe, as you said, one or two episodes where somebody's featured. And I think it would be a great show, and I think people would watch. I I definitely think that they would watch. So that leads me to my next question: What is next for you and for the business, Blue Copper Design? Yeah. Um. So I guess what's next? What's next for our business is growing our team. Um, next year, I would really like to bring somebody on, one or two people onto um, onto the team, and you know, expand in that way. I'm definitely a, a team person, and um, though I love working from home and I love having my own business, I definitely do miss talking to people throughout the day. <laughs> so I've kind of been living the work from home quarantine life before it was cool. Right. Um, so I'm looking forward to having like another creative mind help me with things. So that's, that's the next, um, big goal for, for my business wise. Um, and then also getting more limited with the clients that we take on and really getting closer to that 98%, um, disabled community number of catering to to the people who we think that need it so um and then i don't know next for me personally i mean right now my personal life is maybe a little bit too intertwined with my business but i wouldn't really have it any other way so yeah Yeah. working from home will do that right you you bring the job home and uh, you're our home all day long so it's uh, it's all inter yep. intermingled uh, in that respect, and I think a lot of people are are finding trying to find a happy medium with work and with home life, and so it's uh, it's been a rough uh, been a rough go for the last however many months since March. I guess this has all gone down. Um, and yeah, one, it definitely has. One last thing, Megan, I always like to ask um, everybody that I have uh, on that has had a spinal cord injury, and I'll preface it by telling you what my answer would be. But if I could snap my fingers right now and you would be completely able-bodied again, what is the first thing that you would do? And I'll tell you, for me, I would get my sneakers on and my headphones and I'd head out out on the street for a nice long run. Uh, to feel that sweat rolling down my head again. And and so that's what I would do. How about yourself? I'm not going to copy you, but that's exactly what I would do too. As I thought about this question, um, I hated running before, so it's not that I terribly miss it, um, but there's something freeing about like using your two legs and having it get you to where you need to go. So uh, mine also would be going for a run. I might throw in some stairs because you know, stairs are a wheelchair person's best friend right now. So yes. just to be able to conquer those again would be nice. <laughs> right. Not having to look for ramps and elevators. So, um, yeah, I might like do the rocky moment where I'm running up a huge flight of stairs and <laughs> some music's playing in the background for me. Well, let's make a deal. When that day happens, you and I will go out for that run together. How about that? Perfect. Perfect. Yeah, that'd be awesome. <laughs> oh, terrific. Well, Megan Blau from Blue Copper Design, thank you so much for, first of all, finding that niche and filling it for folks like us in the community that really need it. And also, thank you again so much for, for coming on the quadcast today. And I wish you the best of luck now and in the future. Thank you so much, John. This was awesome. Thanks for having me. I completely forgot to have Megan plug her company's website, so I will do it for her. To find out more about her amazing business, log on to www.bluecopper.design. And you can find her at Blue Copper Design on Instagram. Thank you again for everything you do on behalf of our community, my friend. I am still looking for a guest for my next installment, and will let you know as soon as I've found one. Please reach out with recommendations. I am all ears. 
Hey, I finished up my orientation at Kessler this week and will probably begin working sometime next week. Stay tuned for updates from my forays in the workforce. Wow. Thank you again, as always, to Chris Parapesco at Sound Lounge in New York City. And in closing today, I'm going to switch up my outro music. As someone who grew up in the 70s and 80s, Van Halen's music is a big part of the soundtrack of my youth. So in honor of the passing of the mighty Eddie Van Halen, he will play us out with one of his most iconic licks. Until next time, I'm John McAlevey, and I thank you for your time.